the violence that I that I have in my pictures, um, and again, you know, be self-criticized. People say, sure, you know, the kind of violence you do, you think is all right, but if anybody else does it, you're, you're, you're criticizing them. But what we're talking about, the violence in my films, is not pleasant. It's not pleasant, and I've just finished the film. Now, I'm working on this film right now, which is very violent, and it's not pleasant at all. And uh, it's not, uh, it, you, you reap what you sow in the, in the stories I'm trying to tell. And I don't know any other way to show it. And, it, and, and there's also to deal with the very, very dangerous aspect of um, that, that adrenaline one has is young, that, that uh, could be, uh, uh, could be um, uh, expressed many different ways, uh, and, and <laughs> some sort of excitement, whether it's sexual excitement or violence or whatever. There's that, there's that danger that one has to know. That's part of what it is being human, especially young. And that could go wrong. And when it goes wrong, this could happen. Now, the world I came from, the world I knew, or aspects, I should say, of the world I knew, it was a valid form of expression. That's the world I'm, 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 that's the world I'm, that's the human condition. That is the human condition, and it's tragic. And, and it's, it's set up in such a way that will, it will do us in as a species if we don't learn about it. I don't put it up there for people to enjoy it, you know? And if they are enjoying it, they catch themselves enjoying it, and the characters pay for it. I watched the characters pay for it, particularly in Goodfellas, um, and in Raging Bull, and Raging Bull in this film, the, the Departed, which I just finished also. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about movies that bomb theatrically, maybe the critics didn't like, or in this case, nobody saw in the United States. Uh, Brad, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. We are, I guess the Hong Kong clause is coming out this week. It is. It is. I mean, technically this thing bombed huge. Uh, I just, you know, it's funny. Nobody knows about this film and I, I feel like. Uh, this is this hopefully becomes one of those recommendations that people will write into us about and go, holy cow, that that movie that I didn't know about that you talked about that was that was a good one. So um, you want to you want to like announce what we're talking about? Yeah, so we're talking about 2021's Hong Kong action thriller film Limbo. Yes, and with us, uh, it's, it's not really a guest anymore. He's family, right? So it's the third, the third, the third host of this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. He took a little break to go do his own podcast. And now he's back. <laughs> yes. Uh, Sammy, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Uh, before we kick things off, there's been a big debate behind the scenes for Brad and I, um, this, we, so here, here's the conundrum. This is a film that if you go in blind and maybe only know the basic plot or premise, I think it yields a, uh, a just an amazing viewing experience. So um, what Brad and I have been debating is, do we put it, you know, where do we put a disclaimer? And as Brad said, do we just basically say, look, um, <laughs> stop listening. Just go watch this film and, and don't listen. I, I don't know what your take on this, Sammy, is, but... I would recommend folks go check this film out. Yes. 
probably before listening to the show. Okay. And yeah. and that's where you landed, right, Brad? Oh, absolutely. And and we're going to discuss everything from the beginning, the middle and end of this. So we're going to spoil it. And I would hate to ruin someone's viewing experience because they wanted to listen to our podcast. We will not be offended. I go watch the film and come back and listen to us discuss it because trust us. I don't think anyone in here on this podcast is going to say, don't watch this film. So maybe that's a little bit of a hint of how we feel, but yeah, go watch this film. Yeah. What I would say is, uh, yeah, go watch it. I, here's what I look. I'm not one to tell anybody what they'll like and what they won't like. Right. But if you're a film lover, you owe it to yourself to at least see this film at the very least. I, I think it's a great way of saying it. I, I'm just going to throw all my cards on the table. The reason why we're talking about this is um, I had been sitting on the Blu-ray for a long time. And then I, I saw this film getting an HDR release, like a, a 4K. So I went ahead and double dipped, even though I never opened the Blu-ray. And uh, wait a minute, wait to go rewind. Yes. Have you? Ever, have you, I, I don't know. I don't. I already know the answer to this question, but have you ever done that before? Yes. Oh yeah. Oh oh yeah. I'd say me probably hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. But hundreds of times. I just did it this week. Yeah. <laughs> and and here's the thing. Like I, I saw that film. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this thing. It looks really interesting. I can't remember if I I picked it up or not. I was like, I'll just buy it. And, uh, you know, if, if I did buy the Blu-ray, the Hong Kong Blu-ray, I'll, you know, give it away. So I'm having a conversation with a, a friend of the show, Caesar. He, he writes, Sammy, I think, you know, Caesar as well, writes for a lot of Asian film sites. I do. And, and we're just chatting it up and, and it's the holiday season. And he says, uh, you know, what are you watching? So I'm going through my list and I mentioned limbo and he goes, you haven't watched that yet. I said, absolutely not. It, it's on my to watch list. And I said, I just apparently, you know, bought it twice and never opened the first version. And uh, he said, whatever you're doing tonight, stop, go watch that film. It is the best thing that has come out of Hong Kong in decades. I'm like, wow, that's a lot for Caesar to say. And uh, he doesn't talk like that. He's, he's not somebody who has a lot of hyperbole in his description of films. And uh, sat down and watched it. And immediately after it was over with, I said, Brad, we're talking about this in January. You have to, you have to buy this movie. We are going to talk about it. And Sammy, I think you saw it uh, for free, right? It's available on streaming. Yeah, you can watch this on Tubi. So those of you listening right now, if you've made it this far and you thought to yourself, well, I'll still listen to the show and then I'll see if I want to pick it up or not. You can literally stop right now, download the Tubi app. And with, I literally had to watch three commercials. You can see the whole film. Yeah, it's a two hour film. And, uh, and you could watch later on. You could watch anime, big boobed uh, anime girls, uh, yeah. <laughs> on, if you like that as well on Tubi. So you know, they, they two have birds a, with one stone. They have a channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it, it is what it is. It is an HD copy on Tubi, so it looks really nice. Okay, yeah. Tubi hasn't made uh, made the transition to 4K yet, have they? No, I think it's just 1080p. Yeah, actually, I'm not even 100 percent on 1080p. This looked really nice though, so I think it is 1080p. It might still be 720. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I, okay. I have a prediction for the, the film fans. You'll watch the free version. You'll come back and listen to this podcast, and you will go and pick up the 4K version. It looks that good. It's gorgeous. I will also say, of all the films that I watched in 2023, Sammy, you do you used to do these shows where you would do like top, was it 30 uh, first-time watches or something of that nature? 
Yeah, we do a top 30 first time watches and then top 30 of the year. It was yeah. a lot. Man, it was a lot of work. Don't have that much time now. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, and, and this film came out in 2021, but I didn't see it till December of 2023. I, I would 100% say that this would be in the top three, if not the top film um, of a list of first time watches from last year. So I don't know how else to sell this thing, folks. You need to stop listening and go watch this film. <laughs> but please, please come back. <laughs> but please come back. Yeah. Uh, cause there's a lot to it. This film is dense. Um, and, and just to kind of set you up a little bit, the movie is about two Hong Kong police detectives, um, who are on a case. They're finding severed left hands throughout, uh, the city in, in these trash piles. Uh, they don't know if the victims are alive or dead. And, uh, that's all I'm going to say about it. It is, um, the way I described it to Brad was it kind of has the aesthetic of Blade Runner, uh, but it is very much like, um, seven. So if, if you like cops versus killer films, you will enjoy this, but I, I will warn you too, cause my whole family has now seen it. They love the film, but they go, wow, just, it was, it was a tough watch because just like seven and some of those darker thrillers, um, it, it's potent, but I'm telling you folks, one of the best, but, uh, Brad, let's get into this let's let's go back to 2021 when this was released and and talk about it a little bit i'll, I'll spend some time in, when we talk about the production development because it has a very interesting history um but i want to kick it to you first okay a little light week for me this week since we're kind of talking about a foreign film so i'll just give the release date which is november 18th of 2021 it does have a budget of 16 million dollars and that is in u.s um so I don't know the box office. It did open in fifth place in Hong Kong when it came out and then immediately went to 10th and basically was kind of gone after that. So very uh, quickly downward trajectory on that. Um, we are looking at a Rotten Tomatoes score of 86%. Now that's with uh, seven critical reviews. So that's six out of seven have a positive review on Limbo. And, um, if we flash back to November of 2021 in the U S we could have seen such films as Eternals. Remember Eternals? Don We're Lee. all trying not to. Yeah. Don Lee. Don Lee. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. Uh, Clifford, the big red dog. Mm. I, I hate that fucking movie. Interesting. Uh, um, anyway, <laughs> uh, Belfast, we have Ghostbusters afterlife, which got me to cry. King Richard, uh, uh, Resident Evil, re Welcome to Raccoon City, which I think I'm the only person on the planet that likes. Encanto. Like oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, Troy and I. There We're the two. And House of Gucci are the films you could have seen November of 2021. Okay. That is a light week. Um, yeah. I feel bad for collecting a paycheck this week. <laughs> no, no. You earn it. You earn it every week, man. Uh, I mean, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Greg gets paid to be on this thing? Yeah, absolutely. In, in Swedish fish and coffee. That's mm -hmm. what I pay him. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to need you to get pause. I have to work on some things. <laughs> <laughs> I, real quick question. When we talk about the people like in front of the camera, behind the camera, uh, are you guys fans of Johnny Toe and Milky Way Productions? I, anybody that's listened to me over the last uh, 15 years, I'd say would know the answer to that. But uh, yes, I am. I am a fan. <laughs> okay. What, I concur with Sammy. Yes. Okay. So when we talk about some of these names, um, you're you're going to hear a lot of names if you're if you're close to Milky Way Productions, uh, specifically Johnny Toe and Wah 
Cafe, um, you're going to hear a lot of names pop up on this film. But let's start behind the camera with director Soi Cheng. Now, this mm-hmm. guy, he is all over the place in terms of movies. I mean, you name a genre, he's dipped his toes in it. Yeah. Uh, now, he has made some films like Limbo, specifically Dog Bite Dog with Edison Chen Ooh. and Sam Lee. Ooh, Dog Bite Dog is really good. It's really, really good. Uh, Motorway from 2012 is, is an interesting watch. And then he'll go and do something like the Monkey King franchise. Uh, the first one, I think, had Donnie Yen. So he's he bounces yeah. back and forth. Uh, Sammy, you guys talked about um, Paradox, the Wilson Yip film. I uh-huh. was I was bugging you about, and uh, I think you liked it quite a bit. Loved it, yeah, yeah. So Soi Chang Is that had Sam. Did Samo do the choreo- action choreography on that? I can't I honestly. Did. I can't remember. I think he okay. did. I think he did some of it. I think he did. Okay. There's, there's a kitchen fight. Yes. I think he. Did. That's what. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. yeah. So, so he, he, he didn't direct that. He actually was a producer on Paradox in that same year, another film that came out called The Brink, which is another um, interesting thriller. I, I like that one a lot. But he, he did, did do Kill Zone 2, though. He did Kill Zone 2, which is SPL 2, A Time of Consequences from 2015, which if you like Paradox, I think you would really love that one. Yeah, I need um, to get to that. That's one. That's the one of those three I haven't seen, though. So. Yeah, absolutely. And most recently, I think his, his film last year, Mad Fate. Uh, so he's still working. He's very, anyone pro- seen mad fate. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. His, his mm-hmm. filmography is one that I would look at it and go, wow, I've seen a lot more than I thought. Limbo was not something that I thought I would, I would think he would deliver. Although when you go back and look at something like dog bite dog, I think it's there. Um, but yeah, really interesting director. Uh, the screenplay has two credited writers, Ah Kin Yi, Shum Kwan Sin, and it's based on a novel called Wisdom Tooth by Lai Mi. The cinematography is done by Cheng Siu Kyung. Now, this guy uh, works. Uh, you look at his filmography. My goodness. Works a lot. Works a lot. And if you read reviews about him, a lot of people will compare him to. I don't know what you guys think of this. Uh, I'm, I'm curious your reaction. A lot of people call him the Hong Kong Roger Deakins. So he is again a very prolific cinematographer works works on just uh, almost everything Johnny Toe um and Y Cafe has made uh this gives me a chance to um once again I think I've talked about this film a dozen times go back and watch 1999's The Mission Johnny Toe's The Mission he filmed that one and was a cinematographer um the cinematographer has come up on the show before actually when we talked about Ip Man for the finale he lends that uh, and when he did Limbo in 2021, he followed that up with a murder erased and detective versus sleuths in 2022, which I hear is pretty good too. Um, another one that's detective versus the, what, what'd you say? Detective versus sleuths. Oh, sleuths. Okay. Yeah. So it's another one sitting on the two watch. Pile. That porn parody is way too easy. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, edited by David Richardson. Now let's move to the front of the camera. We've got a cast Gordon Lamb as Chan Lau. So this is the veteran police officer of our story. Um, are, are you like guys... Like an agent Somerset, if you will. <laughs> okay. You guys... Are you guys familiar with um, Gordon Lamb and, and some of his movies and his work? I don't... I mean, he's been in Paradox. He was actually nominated um, at the Hong Kong Film Award for Best Supporting Actor of that film. Uh, he's in The Brink, which also came out that same year. He's, he was he's an really... It Man, right? Wasn't he an It Man? Yeah, he was an It Man. You'll, okay. Yeah. 
There's gonna be yeah, a couple I'm, people. That show I'm up. aware of him. Uh, I have seen him and stuff. Yes, I am very aware of him. He is. He's uh quite good at resting bitch face. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but no, he's a really good actor too, though. Don't get me wrong. Uh, he's in for Infernal Affairs, right? When he when he yeah. in Infernal, Infernal Affairs, Affairs yeah. Election, the Johnny Toe Election series, Election Election Two. The yeah, the, that's right. We try those. those films. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another one that I like him in Mad Detective from 2007. Another Johnny Toe oh, and yeah, yeah. A good one. White Cafe film. Um, another protagonist. I can't wait to talk about this performance, but Kea as Wong To, who is a former drug addict and um, somebody who actually caused a tragedy in Cham Lao, our veteran cop's life. Uh, she is a former singer of the Chinese girl group OP, and her first role was in the film 13 Princess Trees in 2006. Hmm. The other rookie cop not the other rookie cop, but the other cop who happens to be a rookie is played by Mason Lee. He's a Taiwanese American actor. I think a lot of people know him actually from an American film. He was Teddy in the hangover part two. Oh yeah. He's our, uh, he's our detective mills, if you will. (laughs) There you go. Um, and the last, and and the titular, uh, wisdom tooth really. Oh Oh, yes. Yes. He is. He has the wisdom tooth problem. Uh, the last name I want to mention is Hiroki Ikuchi as Yamada uh, Akira. So he is the waste picker with the Oedipus complex and acrotomophilia. Do you know what that is? Uh, I'm going to guess it has something to do with hands. Well, amputees. He is uh, uh, attracted yes. okay. and, and fascinated um, with amputees. He was also an it man. He was the Japanese general. So we got a couple from that film. He's uh he's an interesting guy. We were talking with this uh, uh Jose was supposed to be on the show with us and he couldn't make it tonight, but uh, we were talking about this. I think he's uh he's half uh Japanese, half uh, Salvadorian, I yeah. believe. Really unique look too. I mean, when you see him, you recognize him. Mm-hmm. Uh he's he's been in films with Jackie Chan, um Railroad Tigers, 2016 not not the greatest and uh <laughs> um, he, yeah. He's been in, he's been in a lot. I know. John Woo's Manhunt from 2017. So when can't say I, saw, I haven't seen that one. Any good? Eh, you know, um, yeah. Maybe I, mean, we'll I like. Talk about I like. I like the Red Cliff thing. I like those two films. Yeah, I man manhunts meh, but you know, I I liked it, but I'm, I wouldn't like go crazy over it. Tell everybody to watch it. So if you okay. miss it, you're not missing out. Let's say say it that way, right? So real quick, production and development. I I feel like. This is terrible, but when we talk about some of these films, I always feel like we got to talk about Hong Kong and Chinese cinema in general. And um, what's really interesting about this film, it was made in 2017. It doesn't come out to 2021. And that's not unusual. So many Mm. current Hong Kong films actually go missing. Another example is the film that came out last summer on Netflix, the Jackie Chan John Cena film. Um, it was actually made before COVID hit, but it just sat out there, right? But sure, they had to, you know, had to do all the post uh, production on this on the backgrounds on the green screens. It just took them so long to do. Did you see how well they did on those? That yeah, hidden strike. They obviously, they obviously took so much time, years to perfect that CGI. That's mm-hmm. right. Um, so what's interesting about Limbo? It's representative of a lot of mid to big budget productions. 
And unfortunately, they need the mainland Chinese market to recoup their budgets. So the budget you talked about, Brad, um, it was only shown in Hong Kong. It could not make it into the Chinese market. So China China has a very volatile um, censorship board, and it's constantly moving the goalposts of what they deem acceptable um, and what they're going to allow in theaters. And so this I'm not going to talk shit about the Chinese government. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm just I'm stating a yep. fact, right? Yep. Um, got a lot, I got a lot of listeners in China. Settle down. I know. So this this is one of those films that uh, the director, the filmmakers, producers, everything else realized that this was not going to make it in the Chinese market. So once it became clear that this film, do we which, know? Do we know what the re like? Was it the violence? Or? Yeah. It's, well. We'll we'll get to that in a second. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There's there's a big reason. Oh, um, I think I I think I know what you're gonna say. Yeah, yes. It's not even the violence. Um. I mean, yeah. It look. This is this is what we would have called a, a category three film, right? Yeah. Back yeah. in the heydays. Yep. Yeah. So category three films in Hong Kong, uh, would have been the equivalent of what an NC seventeen over here. Is that about mm-hmm. fair? That is fair. The only the only thing that. Asian films with their category three, it's mostly for violence and tone, whereas uh, and some nudity sometimes, but not nearly as much. It's like in the states, NC seventeen is pretty much if a penis pops out. Yeah, it's more sexual than it is over there. Although there, or maybe some lips. (laughs) Maybe maybe. you can get away with lips though. Yeah. So once it became clear that um, China was treating this as a category three film. There was no way they were going to release it, given its content. Um, and it wasn't going to make it through China's censors. The producers took it to the Berlin Film Festival and released it only in Hong Kong theaters. And they took a massive, I mean, massive financial hit. It didn't really re- recoup much of its budget at all. Mm-hmm. However, the film was nominated for pretty much everything at the 40, um, I think it's the 40th or 41st Hong Kong Film Awards and the 59th golden horse award. So these are the equivalents of the Oscars over there, right? So of the Hong Kong film awards, it had 12 nominations, including best film. Unfortunately, it lost to Donnie Yen's raging fire. Okay. But uh, I mean, that's fine. Uh, I'll say this. I think I love raging fire that this should have won, but it did win best actress, um, best screenplay, best cinematography, obviously, and best art direction, obviously. Um, Golden Horse Awards, it got 15 nominations, including best film. It didn't win that one. It lost to a Taiwanese film about pigeon racing called Cuckoo 043. <laughs> Hang on, I'm writing, I'm writing that down. Dude, I wrote it down too because I need to see this film. Um, pigeon racing. Cuckoo, uh, what was it again? Cuckoo 043. Okay. Yeah. Got so, a Tubi, please come through for me. Yeah. It did win for the Golden Horse, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Visual Effects, Best Art Direction, and the Audience Choice Award. Okay, Brad, you asked the question, like, why wouldn't this get released? Um, I think it's really important to understand what has been going on in Hong Kong, um, specifically on a political and social background, right? We don't have to do a history lesson, but I think you have to understand something about um, what is going on over there. So Hong Kong has an identity crisis ever since the handover in July 1st, 1997. So remember the, the slogan when the handoff occurred was 
one country, two systems. Uh, but things are not going smoothly at all. Um, and, and the question is, how do you go from a pro-democratic system to really a, a communist system? If you look at the protests that occurred in like 2003 when people marched against the national security bill um, to restrict freedoms, or in 2019 when millions took to the streets during seven months of unrest, you can see that the people are just not happy with how this transition is going. Uh, another great example is just recently in 2020, um, Beijing passed a national security law for Hong Kong. It basically bypassed the local legislature, meaning Beijing had jurisdiction over certain cases that they deemed important. And um, it pretty much toppled this legal firewall that has existed be between Hong Kong and the mainland courts. And they get to kind of pick and choose what they want to have, um, what cases they want to happen in China versus, you know, the Hong Kong courts. And, and just to be clear, yeah, we're not, we're not talking shit on China. We're not, please. we're not, we're not talking shit. Um, and, and in that same vein, vein of not talking shit about China, um, they continuously, Troy looks great in red. I, <laughs> I do. Um, <laughs> pro democracy leaders are, are being jailed or they're giving up politics because they're, they're being threatened. Um, and calls for independence or greater autonomy are just, are just banned. Okay. So this is the backdrop that limbo is made and, while Limbo is very much a cops trying to find a killer film, it is very critical of the Hong Kong um, social and political society at a certain level. And mm. I think I think we'll talk about that when we get to um, sharing our thoughts on the film. But yeah, this is this is a very interesting film because it just it bombed, but the critics over there loved it. It picked up a bunch of awards, rightly so. Um, I, I just, I, I don't know about you guys. This is this is a film that I don't think, even in our circles, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about. Have you? Uh, no. I, I mean, I know one Troy Sauer, so uh, that's why I know <laughs> about it. I mean, you told me we needed to do this for the show, and you sent me the link for the Amazon uh, purchase, and I got it. Yeah, it's an, I mean, it's a nice little, you know, booklet that comes with it. And I mean, it's a nice uh, set, but yeah, I, I had no idea about this until you pointed it out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember the poster with um, a lamb or whatever on the the cover. I remember that poster, the poster's very striking, but I remember thinking, Oh, I wonder what that's about. And then I read the synopsis thinking, Oh, that might be interesting. And then totally lost it. Forgot all about it for years. And then the last time I heard about it, it was you. I thought I think you brought it to Brad's house with the intentions oh. of watching it. Maybe yeah, that which, old Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. Which now I'm a little bit disappointed that we all didn't watch it together. <laughs> but you know, we didn't know. We didn't and, know what we knew. We, yeah. No, I um, look. I, I I don't know how you guys feel. Like if you if you read across the synopsis and you go, it's another cops versus killers. I mean, Brad even I debated. Hey, do we do we talk about some underseen cops versus killer films? Right, like top three. But but let's be honest. You you see that genre. You see that trope. Um, how much originality is coming out of that genre to begin with? And while some of the premises look interesting and the trailers look good, I, I'll be the first to tell you it's like, yeah, I probably have seen all of that. It's got to be something very distinctive in order for me to kind of sit down and watch that, or somebody like Caesar to kind of go stop what you're doing and watch this film right now. But mm. I, I, that genre just 
I don't want to call it tired. It's just how much originality has come out of that genre recently. I mean, it does make me yearn for the post seven uh, wave of cops versus uh, crooks or, you know, or mur- serial killers that we got like bone collector and all that stuff. Like I, oh, yeah. I miss those. I miss those movies. <laughs> That's a good mm-hmm. point. Yeah, you th- yeah. You'd think they'd be more popular since, um, was it the true crime podcast or like all over the place? And yeah, they, they come and go those films. Uh, they really do. Uh, I- I'm sure they'll come back. Uh, the crime film will come back. Uh, it, it always does. It always comes and goes. So yeah, that's true. I have okay. no doubt it'll make a return. Uh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to dive right into the sucker because I have been dying to know what you guys think. So uh, everybody else, stay tuned. We'll be back. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Ezra Cobb was a nice enough sort of fella, kind of quiet, hardworking. Every day he'd take care of his chores, then tend to his poor sick mother. They'd read together, eat together, even sing together. The problem was, Ezra's mother had been dead for years, and poor Ezra was deranged. Soon Ezra wanted company for his mother, someone else for her to play with. So Ezra went a-hunting. Deranged. A true story based on one of the most ghastly nightmares in America's history, one of the strangest mass murders ever documented in police files. Ezra killed pretty young women. They died a very unnatural death, but the worst was yet to come. Deranged. Caution. Deranged is a real story. Nothing has been omitted or deleted for the sake of your sanity. So don't come alone. Deranged. A special midnight movie encore from Filmways, rated R. Let's get into this. Uh, we're not going to start with Sammy. He's family. So, Brad, uh, you you get to go first. I'm dying to know what you thought of Limpo. So, let let us hear it. Okay. So, I, I think we 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 have to discuss the elephant in the room, and that is the black and white visuals uh, of Limbo, which might be the most striking and one of the most beautiful. I I, I don't even know how to like words can't describe how striking this film looks. Um, and watching it with HDR and in 4k and the contrast between, between the black and whites is, it is just stellar beyond like, I'm, I'm having a hard time describing it. Yeah. It was, it's like, it's so good. It was shot in color. And then in post-production, they converted it to black and white and they intentionally went through some, uh, different, 
shadow grades and highlighting some of the whites. You know, think about the nighttime landscape where mm-hmm. I'm with you. I've seen it, I don't know how many times now <laughs> since I've watched it the first time because I keep showing it to people. But I still find that night photography just breathtaking. And I don't know what they did specifically to just make all the lights pop. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is crazy. Um, and then like some of the cinematography work we're doing, like for, there's a lot of overhead shots that just look amazing. So like the, on a filmmaking level, regardless of the story, I think just seeing this for the visuals and the camera work and everything else that's like around the actual story is definitely worth the two hour runtime. Um, as for the actual film, it is like an enthralling cop story um which has a has a nice build up in in like the first 45 minutes you're kind of getting a lot of groundwork and then i think like the last hour and four or last hour and 15 minutes might be pretty damn perfect uh it is really good it ratchets up what you want like when we're seeing these films, right, we want that slow sort of introduction. We want to kind of lay the groundwork of our good guys. We want to know who the bad guys are. Well, not really know who the bad guys are, but like get the, what the bad guy is doing here. Like all of his victims are losing their left hand. And, you know, we want that kind of unique identifier of our bad guy. And then of course we want like the people helping the cops and you get all of that. Um, I think Wong To might have one of the best performances in a in a film I've I've seen in a long time. She is perfect. Um, yeah, I, I agree, one thousand percent. It's it's like her performance, the stuff she goes through. Um, there's a scene at the very end where she's in agony, and it just is insane. But I enjoyed this thing because like you described it to me as blade runner and seven sort of mixed in a Hong Kong stew, if you will. And I was like, you put those two words together and I'm going to be pretty harsh on it. Cause you're putting <laughs> two of my favorite films together. Yeah. And it's pretty close. Uh, when it starts raining in this film, it's definitely got the blade runner vibe. Um, but yeah, like you've got your, I was joking when you were talking about the characters, like, You've got your Somerset and you've got your Mills uh, and you've kind of got your Arlie Army in there, um, Captain. But yeah, it, it's uh, it's so hard <laughs> before we like start getting into like what this film really is. Like my initial reaction was this is one of the most striking films I've ever seen, but I don't want to take away from the story as well because it 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 really does satisfy uh, anyone that's into sort of those like mass murderer cops films that were, were like cop investigations. Now I kind of wish the investigation was a little bit more. I think they left a lot of chicken on that bone. If you, if you will. Um, But it's, if that's like the smallest of nitpicks Um, I we've, we've tinted at it before, but if you were into any of that stuff, like we, I talked about, you know, bone collector, like if, if, <laughs> if that tickles your fancy, this is a thousand times better than that. So you should, you should definitely check it out. 
Okay. I, lo- I loved it. I loved this film. You watched it a couple of times, didn't you? I did. I watched it twice. And then I almost, last night, uh, the football game was getting out of hand. And I was like, do I want to watch the last hour of Limbo again? And I, I, I almost did. But I, I went to bed in, in, instead. Okay. <laughs> what, what's your initial take on this, Sammy? Um, so I fired it up. I had seen some stills. So I knew it was going to be striking visually. So I was ready for that. At least I thought I was. I wasn't quite ready for it. The camera work and dare I say set design. I'm assuming set design, um, but I'm also assuming there's a lot of trash. Maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm making an assumption wrong. There might be a lot of trash in certain sections of Hong Kong. If not, there was a lot of cleanup by this crew. <laughs> well, I I mean, that. There there are there are some sections. Uh, my word yeah when i watch this film i'm like yeah i've i've seen something like that in bigger cities but i think what makes hong kong unique is how many people are in that small of a space oh man um so So i caught (laughs) i caught myself looking at details of things like and i know this is going to sound silly but this is in no way a, a slight against the movie but that's what i like about this movie i caught myself looking at the massive amount of apartments and air conditioning units and ductwork, almost like Brazil <laughs> yeah, or mm-hmm. something. And then I'm sitting there thinking to myself, the only difference is this is real. This is a city. He's shooting on existing buildings. He, he didn't build these buildings. These buildings exist. And I had this moment of, you know, how, how accurate was Terry Gilliam's Brazil? <laughs> well, it, it, I I mentioned the Blade Runner thing because if you, I just remember seeing Blade Runner for the first time, and the set design in the cities, uh, in the environment was as much of a character as the people on screen. Yeah, and that is exactly the same vibe I got out of this film. Well, well I got I got there was a few shots that looked there's some shots in Ghost in the Shell where they're looking up at some buildings. It, it I got very uh, Ghost in the Shell vibes with some of the Oh, yeah. The way they looked at the external of the buildings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, all that's here. No, well, in the same way with Seven, which you mentioned before, which is Fincher taking an existing city and shooting it almost like it it's a, a city from the future. Yeah. Or a city out of time, anyway. Seven yeah. kind of has that unique feel of, is it in the past? Is it in the present? We know it's in the present because we see some modern technology, but yet it feels like it's in the past a little bit. It's just, you know, it's got a unique look. And uh, Blade Runner has this sensibility of, yeah, it's in the future, but it still has remnants of the past. And it's showing us how we deal with modern things in more populated areas, such as, you know, toxic air pollution, uh, garbage. There's a lot of garbage in Blade Runner, too, if you think mm-hmm. about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sort true. of the mixing of, well, Blade Runner gets into like the mixing of races as well, too. And there's a lot of rain in both of those films mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of rain in this film. Maybe more rain in this film than those two films combined. There's a lot of rain in this movie. <laughs> so my, my thought watching it, and again, this is no deterrent from the movie, is just how did they get this done and somebody didn't say something before? I mean, I guess I don't know how the Hong Kong film industry works. I don't know if there was a producer on set saying, yeah, they're never going to release this if we put this out or blah, 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 or maybe this director's vision is so unique and he's had a few hits. Maybe we'll put it out anyway. 
I don't know, but it doesn't paint certain areas of Hong Kong in a super favorable light. I mean, it just essentially looks like some kind of futuristic trash city. And I'm, I'm being as kind as I can be by saying that this movie is set in the world of trash. You yes. are in trash almost from scene one until the very end. And yep. that doesn't mean anything bad. Obviously, I think there's a there's a bit of a commentary there about discarded things and and all that all that kind of stuff and what we deem what we pay attention to as opposed to what people who have nothing pay attention to stuff like that. But man, was I just kind of blown away every time it would cut to a new sequence. I was just kind of blown away by establishing shots, uh, drone photography. I'm assuming there's some, there has to be some drone photography in some shots. Uh, There has to be. Yeah. Yeah, Those overhead shots. There's, there's no way that they could have done it. Like there's the one at the very end where they're tracking two people. Like, well, just the, the garage, when yeah. she's like, coming down the stairs, even how that sequence starts, it's it's absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the framing and composition of some of these scenes, her sitting uh, in the dark in the rain, tied up, and she takes uh, kind of if if you're thinking about composition, her image is in the lower right corner, and the rest of it is just pure darkness. Yeah, and it, and it looks like something out of um, I, I don't know just black and white photography that you would see on display in an art museum. It, it it's stunning. It, yeah. It, it, we know where it's set, but it doesn't look like anything we've really ever seen before. That's yeah. what's kind of interesting about it. And that's kind of the takeaway that not only did I think of blade runner and seven, even though you had already said that, but I thought about those films in the sense that they look like places that exist, but don't exist. And I think that's that's what's interesting about this film is it, it almost exists, exists in some kind of netherworld of some sort, some kind of like alternate reality. And then what they do is they just plop a, and again, this is not a slight because I'm going to tell you, I really, I really did love this movie. They plop a basic genre story down inside of it. And this is what I've often said about filmmakers. Talented filmmakers can take a genre or genre film and they can make, you've seen the story before, but you can make a great film if you have the ability to make a great film. The story doesn't have to be unique. It can have unique elements. It can have this. It can have that. But Limbo's story is not overly unique. But no, Limbo, yeah. the film, I think is overly unique. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that that's why I say when, when you you could skip this thing or forget about it, because if you just look at the plot, like if you go IMDb and read the plot and see a few stills, you go, oh, it's it's a modern film noir set in Hong Kong. Uh, if you know some of the people behind the scenes, you go, oh, it kind of looks like a Milky Way production. And you might glance over and go, it's just, it's just another cop versus killer thing, to be quite yeah. honest. Yeah. And then, you know, if you watch a lot of films like we do, um, and like so many of our friends do, you might read that synopsis. And this is a curse of being a film lover as much as it is one of the treasures of being a film lover is you might read that plot synopsis and be like, you know what? I'll check it out later. Yeah. That's exactly then, what I did. <laughs> you put it off. Yeah. Then you come back around and you're like, well, why did I wait so long on that? Well, you just did because you read the plot synopsis and you thought, well, I've seen that movie before. 
I don't, you know, I got to be in the mood for a serial killer film or I got to be in the mood for something like that. Now, let me get into that a little bit. And I don't know how far we want to get into this, but let me get into that a little bit. This movie's pretty harsh. Um, yeah. It's got some pretty brutal moments in it. Some moments that, you know, even I was wincing a little bit. Some stuff with a shovel that's pretty rough. Uh, there's rape in the film. That rape scene is pretty. It's pretty nasty. Pretty nasty. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's it's transgressive. It, it's it's definitely transgressive, which yep. you know, again, that speaks to the transgressive bone in my body. But I think what threw me off a little bit and made me a little uneasy with this one. Those are transgressive elements, and those are always terrible things. But you know, I see so many of those kinds of things in these films I watch that you know, unfortunately, I can kind of compartmentalize that and just kind of move on, <laughs> similar to like I guess a serial killer in the movie, but. Uh, I guess I, you know, I can, I kind of block that out, but for whatever reason, because this is set in this world that is just absolutely filthy and overpopulated and crowded. And like, I don't even know how anybody rides a bike in this place. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? No, you're right. It's I, you, we were, we were talking kind of behind the scenes. Um, and you had made a comment that has just stuck with me. But as you're watching this, I can't remember the last time, and I, I, I agreed with this comment, you had said that you smelled and, and felt the trash. You felt everything in this film. Like, and, and I agree with you when you're watching it. And even I thought, well, I won't have that same visceral effect the second time. As soon as, as, soon as I'm done, I'm like, I feel like I almost need a shower. Yeah. Because it, Let me, yeah. anybody that's ever experienced a toothache, I don't know how many of you guys have. I've, I've experienced them. Um, they are a feeling that both takes you to the limit of wanting to exist. And, uh, then they goes away. Yeah. And then you think, oh, it's okay. And then it comes back with like a, like a vengeance. Uh, the idea, just the sheer idea of the young cop having to deal with a wisdom tooth coming in while digging through wet trash to find a lost gun <laughs> for what seems like eight hours has to be hell on earth. <laughs> yeah. I just thought to myself, this poor bastard, having, <laughs> he's having the worst day at work anybody can possibly have. <laughs> yeah, I will never, never complain about corporate life after seeing this film. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he goes through every bag of trash. And it, it's just amazing to me. Guys, I mean, I, I'm, I'm telling your listeners, we've seen the film, and there's going to be some of your listeners that are not going to watch the movie, and they're listening to this so far. I know because I do that. There's people who just listen to podcasts like yeah. that. But I'm telling you, you've never – I can't think of any movie off the top of my head that has this much garbage and moisture, and it just feels like a set that potentially disease could come from. Like I wouldn't be surprised if they weren't checking people on set because I mean all the moisture and the garbage and the everything looked filthy and the people look filthy and obviously I know movie magic and all that but I got to believe some of these set, some of these places actually exist because I don't know how they would trash like I said I don't know how they would trash it this much I really don't well it and it's not even the trash so I, I on my second viewing and I don't know if you guys had this experience too. Even when you get into these sequences where it's clean, and I'm thinking about the uh, police headquarters at the office, mm -hmm. and there's a sequence where you get to see him after he uh, after they lose the gun. So the, the second half of the film is very much like another Johnny Toe film called PTU with Simon Yam. Um, oh, yeah. 
So it has, like uh, has the uh, same. It has the lead actor in it as well. Yeah, absolutely. So oh. it it's it's not new, but there's a sequence where he's standing in the office and you see all the files and the things hanging. It's not trash, but it's all of that chaos of paperwork and everything else, which another, which is very striking. So even when they're not in the in the trash, but they're in what you would call like the cleaner parts of the city, um, or the nicer parts, there's always this sense of chaos and things that are just ready to like the environment's just ready to swallow um, whoever is standing in frame. I, I at least that's well, the impression I got. I, I I totally agree with you. I think it's weird that I got the Brazil vibes from this film because that the the, the two films have totally different tones, but. What Gilliam was trying to say with Brazil was that eventually the world will become paperwork and tubes and things all running from this to that and this to that. And honestly, that's kind of what the world has become. <laughs> Check out our back catalog for Brazil, by the way. <laughs> yeah. The internet running wires to everybody's house. Everybody's connected in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, Robert De Niro is not going to come out of your air conditioning duct. But, you know, maybe one day. Who knows? He'd be like, come in, be like, check out Kills of Flower Moon. And you know, they take <laughs> off. But the truth is, we're so much more connected. And and this movie, it just feels like everything is it never really feels like this movie's taking place outside of like a three block radius. Yeah. Even though it's supposed to be covering most of the city, it just feels very claustrophobic. And it kind of reminded me, you know, when we reviewed uh, Long Arm of the Law, kind of the walled city stuff at the end of that film. And I remember that, you know, that's the way Hong Kong has been. It's it's so overpopulated. And that this is honestly, it's a futuristic film in a weird way, because it's kind of dealing with what are we going to do with this overpopulation problem? I don't I don't I don't want to sound pessimistic. I mean, it is what it is, but I mean, at this point, some of our big cities are really starting to have overpopulation problems. There's not enough cops to monitor all this stuff. There's not enough people to sort the paperwork. There's not enough people to take out the trash. Yeah. There's not enough people to save people from being murdered. There's a lot of commentary, I think, going on there, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that's what he's saying here with this film because he uses Hong Kong as a character, or at least this area as a character of we've created this big mess, and I don't know if we can clean it up. Well, and, and what's <laughs> at what cost as yeah. well? Yeah, there's a price to pay. I, I do have a question for both of you. So, um, and I'm going to start with you, Brad. This film, we've already talked about it. It uh, has a relentless cruelty and violence to it, and specifically to the female lead. Uh, because what happens is you have a person who, uh, if, you, if you read the plot synopsis, she basically gets high, ends up um, running over, and putting in the hospital, the veteran cop's wife, she uh, is released from jail. And so this this happens early on. You, you start with a uh, serial killer motive kind of film, and then it quickly transitions into this cop is chasing after this woman because he almost wants to exact revenge on her for what she did to his wife. And then not she, almost he does. Oh yeah, he does. And yeah. then, and then and, she, and unborn child. Oh yes. Yeah. Cause yeah. she killed um, his unborn child too. And then the, and then she has this guilt and she in turn says, okay, I want to be your informer and everything else. And he totally just treats her 
like um, the trash in the city, right? Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. goes on for a good portion of it. And then we've already talked about it. She goes through some very, very harrowing things at the end of the film. There is a lot of violence towards her. Um, What did you think of that? And what do you kind of, um, what do you get from that as far as what the filmmaker is trying to say? Because I feel like it's intentional. Like, oh yeah. I yeah. mean, there's a brutality towards women that we're, that he is definitely trying to speak of just as our overall sort of brutality towards women. Um, I don't know if it's sort of, I, you know, like body choice and all that, you know, like my body, my choice sort of deals, but you know, just that the, the, the kind of the relentless relentlessness that he is going out. I mean, even when he catches up with her, under that, I guess, like under the bridge or like something a bypass like that, or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anthony Kiedis is hanging out there. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> but just starts beating the hell out of her, and yeah. it's uncomfortable. I mean the the poor girl goes through so much in this. Like she goes, uh, there's a scene with her in the car that is well, like in an alley that moves towards a car. Uh, it's it's just so relentless towards her. Um, that this whole, almost this whole film is, is like a violence towards women and it's intense. Like it's not something that they take very lightly and that is definitely on purpose and definitely saying, I don't know, it's like society's like brutality towards women or just how we, this girl is like a little bit lesser, like she's a drug addict. And so are we, we kind of maybe. Mm putting that in there is like, she's a lesser person. So it's okay to beat her up and do this because she's not necessarily a real person, quote unquote, in our eyes. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's intense. It's, it's really intense. Did you think it was too much? Did it take away from like, no, I like, I, I like, we watched the, the girl, the dragon tattoo and, and, in recently and that's got some really sort of violence towards women as well i don't you know i i try not to get over sensitive with that stuff because if it is done correctly like i think it's done here it definitely it, it 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 packs a punch with you um and i think I don't want to say it's done tastefully, but it is done for a reason. It's not just, Hey, let's make a snuff film where we just beat the fuck out of women. Like it, it, it definitely has a purpose in is enhancing our story that we're trying to tell. Um, the main cop definitely has a turn at some point in time where his brutality towards this, this woman changes um and that uh kind of feels a little bit better knowing how he felt about her at the beginning of the film so no it 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 doesn't get me to clutch clinch by pearls but it i mean it definitely there's parts when i was watching this that like I heard someone coming down the stairs. I'm like, if Natalie sees me watching this, this is going to be a hard thing to explain. So, uh, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of violence and it's a lot of rape. The rape scene. Yeah. I don't know. 
Especially what when it, she comes downstairs and you're texting us like, guys, I've been watching this whole film without my pants on. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but any, this is, I can't believe I'm going to say this sentence, but anytime there's a rape scene and the guy spits in his hand, I, it just, it gives me the icks so much. Yeah. It's, it's way too, I mean, it's just like, okay, we didn't need that. We didn't need the fat, the part where you're, yeah. Uh, just, a, just another night in Aberdeen, baby. Oh boy. <laughs> What, so what's your take on the violence in that? Cause it, it is, I, it's not over the top. It's just relentless. Um, what, what did you take from that, Sammy? Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. You know, I, I watch a lot of these kinds of movies. Uh, you guys know I'm attracted to kind of transgressive cinema and things like that. So yeah, you know, I watch a lot of this kind of stuff. Um, she, she takes, uh, arguably, she might take, and I don't mean to make light of it, but arguably she might take two beatings too many. <laughs> she, she takes a lot of, uh, beatings in this. Uh, it's, it's a very odd choice. All I can think, and I'd have to watch it again. I only watched it the one time. Um, all I can think is maybe, maybe there, I think Brad's onto something there. There's some type of societal comment there of treating her like trash, right? Obviously, you know, there's trash everywhere. And that she's just, you know, this discarded human being and somebody we can kick around and just leave laying in wet puddles and and just leave a mess because she doesn't really matter anymore. She had her shot. She messed up. That's yeah, I wonder if that's like a, a like a commentary on criminals as as well. Yeah. yeah, maybe. I mean, it's 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 if it is, it's certainly a very political statement mm-hmm. and uh, makes this movie even more kind of volatile in that way. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know exactly what he's going for. There's actually, you know, there's a little bit of a vengeance quotient there, but then, you know, we see the, the, you know, the older cop, he kind of has a moment where he kind of shows her what she's done, which is, is emotionally kind of raw and brutal. And, um, I don't know. I'd have to watch it again because there's the sequence where, you know, again, people that are listening to this, there's spoilers here. So, oh yeah, not, you were warned. Everybody was yeah. warned. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not used to spoiling movies when I review them, but here yeah. I can do that. But the, you know, when he's in the room and his wife takes her last breath, it's a great acting moment because his re- his moment is both sadness and relief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I picked up on that more of the second viewing because they don't they don't like hold on that for very long like she dies and they move on and i was like wow they there's definitely a, there's that a beat for- like if it, when you when you watch it again and you watch his reaction same sammy's spot on like there is such sadness and you feel it and then there's just this twitch of it's not a smile but no. it, it's almost like thank god that's over yeah it's like she that's how i took it like yeah. much more like relief than sadness yeah because there's a you know there's a cot in the room so he's been spending every night since this accident who knows how many years he's been spending in this of course i'm an american all i'm thinking is how much is that hospital bill going to be <laughs> but uh yeah <laughs> but in hong kong it cost him 12 dollars <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> damn socialism <laughs> the uh anyway uh but there's just this moment where you think to yourself, he's been going through this hell for so long and he's been living alone, essentially his job being his only escape. And, uh, like now he can be the cop. He really wants to be not the cop that has this grudge or this cop that he's not that he's a bad cop, but he's certainly a guy who has psychological issues, a lot of depression. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, 
it's not it's not really normal in Asian cinema to see a lot of alcoholism or anything like that. Usually, most of my experiences with alcohol and and Asian films is usually comedic. Yeah, um, they don't really kind of get into people having drinking problems. But this is clearly a cop who, you know, he's he's got a lot of issues psychologically. Um, I mean that he would react by seeing this person who hit his wife. I mean, I, I got to be honest with you. I understand he's angry, but that his first reaction is just a puncher. <laughs> he was going to murder her under that bridge. I mean, yeah. what's what's amazing is there's this accumulation of uh, thrills, violence, whatever you want to call it, that when he catches her and, and he's beating her up, he takes his gun out and he cocks the hammer back, and there is uh, there's there's basically two images of him that are shaking within this yeah. black and white photography. It is gorgeous to look at. But at the same time, you're looking at this going, he's he's flat out going to murder her right there until the young cop comes along and, and prevents it and takes his gun away. Yeah, it's pretty great. And of course, you know, that comes back around, right? Because the young cop takes his gun away and then the young cop loses his gun. Yeah. And somehow it ends up in her hand. So there's a lot of thematic stuff going on right there where, you know, we got one cop that took a gun away that was going to take her out. She ends up with a gun. And then what happens at the end? It's very interesting the dynamic there. Well, the way- and I, don't they do another shot of her when she has the gun, or at least in the car sequence, the the alley sequence, yeah, where she gets the double image as well, which is very mm-hmm. similar. So he he purposefully frames those two characters who are at odds with each other over this incident, and he frames them with the gun uh, almost in the same shot, or uses that same technique of seeing like two images on screen. It right. it's very striking, but visually. I think it's, he's trying to say these people are very close to each other um, yeah. in terms of the makeup of their character and, and what they will do. Yeah, and in a, in a culture that doesn't have as heavy of a gun culture, you know, that, that, that plot element, I don't know how well that works in an American movie. It works better, I think, in an Asian film, even though, you know, I know their films can have violence in them and, and stuff like that, but that's not a culture known for gun violence or whatnot. And so right. a cop losing a gun doesn't for whatever reason in my head it didn't seem like as big a deal in all of the mountains of trash did i bring up that there's mountains <laughs> there's a little trash you talked about the trash <laughs> yeah and I, I kid you not there are mountains of trash in this film but i thought to myself well that gun's gone Should they're never going to find that gun and then you know our guy will Wren, mason lee he's just looking for it his tooth aching i'm thinking oh my god he just stuck his dirty hands in his mouth they never wash their hands <laughs> <laughs> as a as a person who is a little bit of a germaphobe they never wash their oh that's a good point if you're if you're a germaphobe like, eating, like he goes and takes that medicine and you're like you didn't wash your hands like you just yeah, you didn't wash your hands, and you're taking that medicine. Well, well, Gordon Lamb takes the chopsticks out of the trash can. I mean, what's interesting is you get these little character development points at the beginning where uh, he, right, at, right at the beginning of the film, they're having lunch, and he can't find chopsticks, so he takes the chopsticks out, out of the trash and uses it. But yet um, our young detective, when they start sifting through trash, is taking his wedding ring off, and he's trying to stay clean as possible. Uh, and, and that's at the beginning of the film. You get these little, you know, this cop's living in the trash. This other cop doesn't want to be tainted by the trash, but by the end of the film, he's, he's just rolling around in it looking for his gun. Well, again, I I'm going to say those thematic elements have to be on purpose. There's no point to having all of this trash around and all these other things going on. Uh, 
ex-drug addict or drug addicts being preyed upon and everything else. Trash is a central theme to this film. It's not just a set design. It's it's a central theme to this movie. Uh, garbage, trash, waste. Yeah, I mean, we throw out mean, we yeah. throw out our trash and we throw out people. Yeah, yeah. It's well, like it's like the minute we put our trash on the curb, it's not our problem anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Well, so the minute <laughs> we stick our drug addicts into jail or into yeah. wherever, it's not they're not our problem anymore. And then you know, perhaps in some kind of crazy world. You run run across. I mean, I gotta say, you know, the the population of Hong Kong. The chances of him running into this character again are slim to none. But this is a movie. Um, well, I guess she would have to come home, so that would make sense, I guess. But you know, I mean, I'm just saying, you you're usually your trash or quote unquote your past doesn't come back to haunt you. Uh, if you can throw it away, you can throw it away. And I think there's there's a lot of themes. There's a lot more themes going on here than I could process in this first time watch. I just think there's a whole lot of stuff he's trying to say by doing this, because again, the story is there's nothing fancy here. There's right. it's two cops chasing down a serial killer, doing a little bit of investigative work. Not a lot, a little bit. Really. The main clue is that our lead cop smells trash a little differently than anybody else. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's a very simple story, but again, told in a way that makes it really stand out. Yeah, that's enough of me and Brad talking about the movie. What did you think about? Yeah, because I want to talk about the left-handed stuff because I did some research on it. It is crazy. What? Well, go ahead. Now, now I'm I'm super interested. Okay, so the 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 killer yeah um is taking everyone's left hand yes, and in a lot of societies, in in in, first of all, in China, left-handedness is looked on as bad because it's harder for them to write in Chinese. Mm-hmm. It, so was, uh, it was the devil's hand in America back in the yeah, day. And so if you think about it in Christianity, Eve gets the blame for, you know, falling for temptation is always depicted on being on Adam's left side. Yeah. Um, and then Jesus is always depicted on being on the right side. And then I think I saw in the uh, depiction of judgment day, and this is in the, in the gospel of Matthew, states that the sheep on the shepherd's right will be brought to heaven, while the goats on the left will be go to the devil. So there's a, a lot of... And I was wondering, Troy, because you were talking about the the shadow, the way the characters, like the one under the bridge, yeah. if like his left side was light and the right side... Or his left side was dark and the le- right side was light. Like I was trying to remember, but I couldn't remember if I were trying to depict... A good side, you know, like your devil on your shoulder, yeah. angel on your, you know, stuff like that. So, so there's a lot of ways in culture that we look upon um, being left-handed and being on the left as being evil and to the devil. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting this to think about. Yeah, no, I could totally see that. I mean, here, here's the thing that um, really was gnawing at me. So the original novel was called Wisdom Tooth. And it's interesting that this source of pain for one of the characters comes from something that has wisdom in its name. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm, I'm wondering if this eventually loses that wisdom at some point in time, (laughs) he does. And, and in a, in a very violent way too, which you, you feel every time that shovel hit his face, I, I felt that. Um, But I'm, I'm wondering, is the story hinting that pain is supposed to lead to ultimate knowledge in some regards? Um, and why change the name wisdom tooth 
Like they, they could have called this film wisdom tooth. I don't know if it'd sell, but why change it from wisdom tooth to limbo? And is he basically saying through that name change and also what happens um, to Wong To is, is he really giving his interpretation of what Hong Kong is going through right now? If, if you want to get to like the political or socioeconomic statements of it. So I think this film has that, and, and I've already said this, this relentless cruelty and cycle of violence without end. I mean, it's through there and especially to her as a character. And you do see some sort of redemption at the end, but it's at a very high cost. And it, it's an incredibly tough film to watch. But if you were to take well, a step back and can go... I, can, I, can, yeah. I, can I go back? Because you asked, like, why is it limbo? Yeah. Um, uh, Troy, in Catholicism, uh, limbo is like a like a unbaptized um, child. I believe it's unbaptized child um, because they kind of go in between heaven and hell because they can't go to heaven because they haven't been baptized and they haven't really earned their spot in hell. So um, they don't really go to hell. They just kind of go to limbo. Yeah. And and that makes total sense. But when I think about Hong Kong's identity crisis right now, where you basically, you know, after the handover go from something that's very pro democracy to um, communism and the country's touting like this, well, one country, two systems, and it's working very well. Is, are they are they in limbo? Is Hong Kong in limbo? Yep. And you take into consideration the setting with all the trash and what's going on with this, the city and people are just being discarded. I mean, how many people in here are missing an arm or a leg? His wife is missing a piece of her leg. Um, one of the women, you know, uh, is missing a hand. And this guy's going around chopping off the left hand. And all of the violence and everything that happens to Wong To, I'm, I'm sitting there looking at it going, is he basically saying that, you know, Hong Kong comes out of that agreement in 97 when she's released from prison, tries to do the right thing, but then that form of social justice is just beating her down, right? And so she's in as a character represents what is going on with the people of Hong Kong, where they are kind of existing in limbo and... Um, they are being sort of tortured and beaten from all sides. Like there is no relief. No matter, you know, she's trying to do the right thing. She's trying to go for redemption um, and to do everything she can, but she is being beaten up by the people that she used to run with, the thugs, right, that used to protect her. And then when she goes to help the cops out, the cops are beating her up. And then she gets captured by the serial killer. Like it's a no-win situation for her up until the very end. Um, when she finally finds relief, but she finds relief when one of these cops dies more or less and grants yeah, her I, forgiveness. I also had a question. Is there any reason why the serial killer is Japanese in this? Uh, I'm or sure. Was that just coincidence? Well, I'm, I'm sure that's another statement about like, I mean, foreigners within Japanese films being a villain is, is nothing unique. Yeah, but in in here it seems awfully. I don't want to say poignant because I don't know what the point is, but it seems like there has to be a reason for that. I'm just not smart enough to know. Uh, hey, look, every country we're not the only country that is dealing with some sort of tough immigration scenarios. Mm -hmm. uh, if you think about all of the people trying to, you know, go back and watch any of the Hong Kong films from, uh, well, Long Arm of the Law is a great example. You have people coming in from mainland into the city and they're doing it illegally. 
um, mm-hmm. and then the city having to uh, deal with that. I mean, China and Hong Kong are they're no- going. They're going where the money is, right? I mean, you got the yeah. poor country people who are going where the money is because the money's always in the cities. Sure. The people yeah. in the cities always want to keep the people who don't have the money out of the cities. It's it's an age old political problem. Absolutely, and I and I I think having a foreigner as um it's crazy he's the main antagonist but there are so many moments within this film that your protagonists end up being the antagonist especially for wong to yeah i i did find it interesting that he was mentioned to be japanese because i almost felt like you know you could have just went around that really and it still would have been the same story but it does add a wrinkle to you know to it to the point to where in my head, I didn't bring it up on the show, but in my head, I'm asking the same questions Brad is like, is there a reason why he has to be Japanese? I mean, obviously, I know there's been problems between the Chinese and Japanese sure. throughout history, um, but I don't think there's any commentary there. I just think it just so happens that that's the way they decide to tell the story. But well, it, did make me, it did make me think, though. It's a Japanese immigrant because they make the point of saying, oh, he's stayed too long. He's yeah, nine he months old. Like he over, overstayed his visa or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, who, who has a mother complex, which is <laughs> weird too. I mean, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of got that and it kind of, at the same time, it kind of went right past me at the same time, <laughs> but I, I, I got it. It came back around and I was like, oh yeah, that's right. They said that, but at the, or they implied that, but it, at first it just kind of went right past me. I was like, okay. Yeah. I, I, I do want to mention this, um, because I, that alley sequence. So this thing also got nominated in Hong Kong. They actually have a division within their film awards of like best action sequences. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure Raging Fire won that as well. But I got I got to be honest with you. We we've talked about this quite often. A lot of problems that I have with current martial arts. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm trying to watch that new Michelle Yeoh uh, Netflix series, The Brother's Son. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not digging it, but. You know, it's just another Netflix show. There's nothing new to it. And a lot of the choreography is choreography. But that sequence in the alleyway, when she is fighting off all of those gangsters, and then the young cop comes in and gets in the fray, and this gun's being passed around, and then uh, her getting into the car uh, and having to maneuver through that, and just pipes and things come through the window, et cetera. I found that to be one of the most exhilarating realistic action sequences I have seen in a long time. And I, mm. and I felt as a viewer, every punch, it well, was, doesn't feel choreographed. It doesn't, but I, I felt everything in that sequence and it, you're sitting there and uh, I, I hate putting these two words together, but it was beautifully violent. And it probably is one of the most uh, impressive technical um, choreographed sequences I've seen in a really long time because it all kicks off with her stabbing that guy in the foot. And I felt that. I felt that 100%. Again, I think everything that happens in this film that has violence, I think because he sets you up in this dirty environment, I think everything hurts that much more. Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, I'm sure that I'm sure that knife was rusty. Like, that guy's got to get a tetanus shot now. <laughs> yeah, and then even the final showdown between these two guys uh, and your serial killer, again, it's brutal. Mm-hmm. It's extreme... Uh, from a technical standpoint, it's some of the best choreography I've seen because it looks so realistic, so messy, 
but every punch shoveled to the face. Um, heck, when that shelf falls on him and he takes that big cinder block. And yeah, what was that? It was like a cinder block with a pipe. I was like, is this like a Thor's hammer thing? Going oh, on here? it was that ridiculous. Thing is- but I, I got to tell you, like I'm sitting here going, this movie is grueling. It's it's got some really tough scenes. But when you take a step back to it and go, yeah, from a from a technical perspective. Think about all of the elements of filmmaking, from the cinematography to the editing to the art direction to the mar- to the choreography. Uh, hands down, it's it's just one of the best things I've seen in years in those categories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. I I think the only thing that felt choreographed was the uh, was the actual alleyway running itself. Everything else felt very I don't want to say sloppy because that's not the word, but it just felt non choreographed. It felt like Organized like, chaos. Yeah, it felt like everybody was in danger. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and I think that's good because I never knew who was going to get hurt, who was going to get stabbed, what was going to happen. Yeah, and and you know, the my last thought is um yeah, I, I think people could watch this and have some problems with what happens to Wong To's character through the duration of it. But I would say that the violence within this film has meaning which is unusual. Like there is something being said here. Um, it's being said from a story and character perspective. I think it's, I think it's um, to your guys's point, it could be talking about the violence towards women in society because it's not trying to glorify it. It's trying to make you feel uncomfortable. It's trying to say something with it and it packs in uh, just a punch. But the reason why it does it and the reason why it's so effective is chaos. She, she deserves all of the awards from 2021 for acting. Um, and they should probably give it to her for the next couple of years. She's that <laughs> good in this film. I felt every just tear, heartbreak, her anger, um, all of her fear. Uh, it was it, it is a mesmerizing performance. One of the best I've ever seen from a from an actress. One of the most soaking wet performances I've ever seen, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just Lord have crazy. Mercy. I mean, she's never dry in this movie. Yeah. It's crazy. Crazy. Yeah, she's she's uh, really put through the ringer big time in this film. Uh, and, and maybe that... maybe that. I mean, she's, it feels like she's seeking redemption throughout this whole film. Yeah. And every time she seeks redemption, she just gets the fuck beat out of her. Yeah. And, I, you know, limbo is such a catch-all word that, you know, I... I I would think that they just probably picked that title because I agree. I don't know if wisdom tooth would have sold the film, but I don't know if limbo does either. Cause it's such a catch all word because you can tie it to anything. The uncertainty of her future, the, the cops are in limbo cause they can't figure out who this is. The serial killer himself is in limbo because he can't figure out what he's doing. The city of Hong Kong is in limbo, limbo yeah. stuff everywhere. I mean, it's such a catch all word. So I don't know if it really has any meaning as much as it's just a, a really good title for kind of what all these characters are kind of going through. Yeah. But it, it matches the tone. And I think even some of the themes we talked about, I mean, it's, it's just interesting. Like I said, every, every character, even the new rookie cop, there's not a person who isn't going through some type of torment or pain. Um, and how they deal with that and where they come out on the other side of it is a really fascinating tale. Like you said, the plot's nothing new. But I think these elements of what they do with these characters and the nuances they do to it make it feel like, um, I, I don't know, when I saw this, I felt the same way the first time I saw Seven or or some of these other major milestone films where I'm like, I've seen this story before, 
but I feel like I watched something brand new. It it was that good. Yeah. No, I I I I think it's a totally unique film experience. And uh again, it's a great example of how you can uh take a genre film and with style and talent, you can you can make it new again. Absolutely. Uh, I, I I say this kind of stuff all the time. I mean, that's it's the same thing I said about the holdovers. The holdovers is not an original movie, but if you take talent and you make the film as pure as can be, it's a solid movie, really good movie. Yeah, I mean, you've seen the holdovers a thousand times, but it's it's well done. It's what we can do. So, yeah, this is just another example of that. Yeah, I agree. Well, any other final thoughts on Limbo? I'm I'm so glad you guys had the same sort of visceral reaction that I did to it and just kind of fell in love with it. Um and I, I didn't I didn't know how my family was going to take it. Cameron just fell in love with it because he would turn to me during cer- certain sequences and he would just raise his hand and it's like, "How did they do it? like that looks like an amazing shot?" And then when it was over with, both Angel and Tabitha had this it's like that was an amazing film, but man, that was tough. And I'm sure it's a tougher watch. Um, maybe for, you know, a female seeing what happens to this central female character. Uh, but they, they loved it as well. But they, they even said, like, there's a lot going on there and a lot to unpack. But what's amazing is as, as, um, as a challenging film, it, it is as, from a first-time watch, you want to watch it again. And uh, everybody who I've watched this with has that same reaction, like, oh, man, I can't, I can't wait to see that again. Yeah. I I watched it by myself, so I didn't have anybody to turn to and be like, "How in the hell?" <laughs> but and I didn't. I know because we were, did the show together. I didn't want to say anything while I was watching it yeah. and via text or anything. I kind of kept quiet. But I'll just say this: I wanted to say a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to say a lot while I was watching it. I was like, "How in the hell did they get that shot?" Yeah, it's crazy. It yeah, like, I, that scene from above, Brad. You're talking about. It reminded me uh, as. You know, we all play video games, uh, but it reminded me of kind of like those, you know, those kind of catty corner kind of side scrollers like Baldur's Gate and stuff like that. It kind of oh yeah, oh games. yeah, yeah, like the iso- like Diablo and stuff, isometric shooter. Yeah, type isometric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I will say Troy that I I had a better experience watching this the second time than my first time, just being able to like watch it and and kind of dig a little deeper through the trash if you will so yeah. he, he got to watch the second time he watched it without his pants mm. oh good point yes. good point uh yeah i this i mean if i'm thinking about like all the hall of fame films that we've kind of said hey we champion this one because it wasn't you know nobody knew about it I, you know brigsby bears on one end of the spectrum and i think limbo's on the other where you go <laughs> two different types of movie experiences but um in terms of quality equally as good and and should be experienced yeah, Love and Monsters sits in the middle there. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's right there. But uh, I won't even ask the question about whether or not it's a yeah, bomb. We, I think we we're all, yeah, we, we started the show with that. I do have some listener feedback um, that might uh, create another conversation if you guys uh, got a few minutes. Sure. All right. I got all the time in the world, my friends. Sweet. Well, first one's from Mac, our uh, good friend over at the Mixtape Podcast. He said, thanks for the shout out. Jay and I will have to do a deep dive on Christian rock pretty soon. Matt, get on that. We're patiently waiting um, for this episode. Also, I was yes, not... Yes, Matt, take us higher, please. Yes, thank you. <laughs> he said, also, I was not able to finish your prospect episode due to absolutely shit weather. We had nine inches of snow dumped on us overnight and throughout the day yesterday. But last night when we got home from work, I pulled up prospect and holy shit, 
Randy is a movie recommending machine. I loved it. Randy needs his own month, just movies that bomb that he gives a thumbs up to. Um, and then he also mentioned Limbo was a production that was uh, converted to black and white post-production. So he dropped us that little hint. Yeah. So what's funny about this feedback is uh, our good friend Randy had sent us an email and uh, Brad was like 10 films that he put in there that said, we have to watch these. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'll, yeah, yeah, Randy might have his own month. He, I, he's a, you know, he's a longtime friend. Yeah. He's brought all, a lot of us together. He's uh, kind of the, the, the glue that kind of holds the whole community together. He really is that guy. Yep. Introduced me to the NLTLP guys, and that's how I met uh, Alyssa from the Big Red Podcast. And everybody I know is because of Randy, essentially. And, um, but he has this crazy filter. I just want to say this again. I know this is not news to any of your <laughs> listeners. He just has this crazy filter, and out of the blue, sometimes he will hit you up with something. And you'll be like, well, I better check that out because if he's taking the time to tell me, because what people don't know about Randy, he watches a lot of films. Yes, he does <laughs> a lot. So he loves movies. He doesn't do a podcast about them or anything, but again, he loves films. And so he, uh, he's got a pretty good, uh, high, he's got a pretty high bullshit detector. Yes. But, yeah, his uh, batting average is pretty high. He'd be a hall of famer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and I think we're, we're either going to do that. We're going to either just let him program an entire month. Or we've even debated, do we do a Randy's Corner and once in a while just uh, hand the mic over to him and have him record something and go, all right, tell us what to watch, Randy, because um, he's he's just not wrong. Uh, you got to tell me what's on that list. You don't have to do it on the show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll share it with you. It's it's pretty yeah. impressive. He'll, he'll list a – the thing with Randy is he'll list 10 films and you're like, okay, I've seen one of these. I know about <laughs> four of these. The other yeah. five, what is he talking about? I, and then – you just go down a rabbit hole, um, but Randy is very good if you're if you're a film lover and you're adventurous. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. the guy you want as a tour guide. Yeah. He, he will show you everything. Uh, another piece of feedback from John and and folks go check out and now for something a little bit different on YouTube. Uh, he said, "Great to see Midnight Special talked about. Very solid flick. As far as sci-fi, while I'm down for it all, my jam is definitely time travel stories." And he picked Back to the Future as his uh, favorite. Do you have a favorite subgenre, Sammy, on sci-fi? Um, it wouldn't be time travel. It would probably be uh, uh it would probably be either it'd probably be like Brad. It'd probably either be monster based or post apocalyptic, probably. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that would be that. Uh, but also, by the way, Back to the Future. I know I've probably said this before in the past. Uh, dare I say, uh, an, if not a near perfect, a perfect film. Well, perfect film. Perfect film. Ten out of ten. Yeah, I've watched it several times over the years. Sammy would probably give it an eight out of ten. Yeah, give it an eight, show. but you know, maybe an eight. It, it it might hit eight point five. Oh my it, god! It, it, wow! <laughs> Stop the presses. <laughs> um, one last one. It's a little bit long, so I'm gonna skip. Over. I'm gonna just do parts of it. So it's from our good friend Zoe Backlook Cinema Podcast. Said greetings, happy new year. I just listened to episode one eighty seven midnight special. I've not seen or even heard of this movie, and listening to you guys talk about it, I might have to check it out. I'm super behind on all the content that I want to consume, but I'll fit into my schedule somehow. Um, the real reason that I'm writing is because you guys had an interesting discussion about exposition in movies. Specifically, you suggested that exposition in sci-fi may be more difficult than in other genres. I pondered this for a while and concluded that it may not be especially more difficult to build a world in sci-fi 
than other genres. In the first place, most audiences have already bought into most of the elements and tropes in science fiction. Maybe they'll need an exposition of the new culture, technology, or concept, but that's just stacking those things on elements that they're already familiar with. An excellent version of this is when the characters in Avengers Endgame were explaining how time travel works. And we talked about this. How many time travel movies do we get a reference back to? Um, back to the future. Back to the future. In the second place, more. Don't even get me started. One of the problems, and again, I know I'm going to get some rocks thrown at me. Yeah. I love, I think Christopher Nolan's a very talented filmmaker. I just wish he would stop explaining to me everything that he's doing while that, he's making it. That's what we talked about, the exposition. Um, stop. Yeah, and and I do want to jump to this one point where he says, finally. We get it. It's an atomic bomb. We get it. <laughs> Um, he says, finally, I think that many critics or observers really underappreciate being told a well-crafted story. A lot of people shout, show it, don't tell it, when they're talking about an exposition scene. I think we should take a better appreciation of a well-shot and beautifully performed exposition. I'm thinking specifically of Gremlins, when the female lead is explaining to the male lead why she doesn't like Christmas. This is an exposition, and I suppose they could have shot it, but being told the story had its own special impact on the audience. There's a similar scene in Jaws where the three main characters are bonding one night. One of them tells a story of surviving a shark attack. That probably would have been an amazing scene to shoot, but the way that the original pivotal scene was shot, two men enraptured by the story of the third man had such a quiet impact that shooting the shark attack story would have been a detriment to the movie. Um, wait, wait. Yeah. When he was talking about Gremlins, did he say female lead? Sorry, that's uh, Phoebe Cates. Okay. Let's not just like female lead it. That's Phoebe Cates. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's making a case. I mean, I think we, we complained about the exposition in science fiction that a lot of times the thing we liked about prospect and midnight special, which felt so refreshing was they just get into it and you mm -hmm. learn about the rules and the world as you go on. And, um, you bring up Christopher Nolan, I think, uh, tenant inception great examples of i feel like i need a calculator a notebook and i got to take notes during the exposition you know, scenes i have a nickname for that genre yeah you can either call it the powerpoint genre or you can call it the whiteboard genre yeah yeah i mean that's what the it whole, is the whole purpose of elliot page to be in inception is so that he can really be a, a conduit for the audience and leonardo dicaprio is literally just yeah. explaining how inception works and, and you know, in, like, yeah and in interstellar those characters are drawing pictures to show you what's going to take place <laughs> i mean it, it's it's pretty amazing but there, it's nothing it's nothing he's doing wrong and that's just kind of how we've become a society too we all work in business so how many times have we us three sat in a room and somebody's like oh, well hang on i got a presentation i can show you I'm like oh <sighs> Yeah, here we go. Well, it, it, or does anybody got the whiteboard? I'm like, oh no. We we got to get Zoe back on to talk about this because the here's here's the problem with his examples. Um, when when we talk about science fiction exposition, we are talking about world building. I think the two examples that he gave with Gremlins and Jaws are about character building. That's a little bit different. Mm. Um, yeah, the, I, I agree with you. I think you I mean, know, how much exposition do you need to know about a big shark? Yeah. I, I think, you know, somebody who does this really well is, you know, Quentin Tarantino. He takes his characters and he he can build um he builds worlds and character development out of characters talking to each other in cars or in restaurants or yeah. you know, while doing something mundane or doing something 
ultraviolet. They're talking about something mundane, you know, about when, where did you do your laundry? Oh yeah. I did my laundry. You know, while their feet are hanging out the car or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you can do both. Uh, but I kind of agree with Troy. The two examples he gave, they're probably more character driven than world building. Yeah. I, and I'm not saying, I, I'm not saying exposition is bad. What, what I am saying is that in some genres, doesn't matter if it's science fiction or anything, a lot of times when you get to that PowerPoint or whiteboard session and you go, Hey, I'm going to explain everything to you. It may, it can work if it's done efficiently and it drives the story and you get well, some character elements his out of example it. Of, his example of Gremlins, I mean, they kind of exposit the whole rules of the Mogwai to the audience. They do, yeah. And But at that point, the audience needs to know what those rules are so it feels right. Um, in other moments, exposition just feels like the character literally turns, looks down the barrel of the lens, and just starts talking to the audience one-on-one. It's like, hey, buddy. Here's what's gonna. Here's what's going yeah. on in this movie right now. Well, it's, yeah, that yeah. feels disingenuous. Yeah, yeah, that 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 is the problem with some expository scenes because they literally stop. I mean, the most egregious one I can think of literally is Interstellar. They're on a they're on a ship, and they literally stop to explain time, relativity, all these things, and then they'll have a scene where they're talking about their families, and then they stop again to explain the science that Nolan has a boner for. I love it. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I love it. But I don't need him to say, time out. I'm going to tell you everything I know that you don't. Or uh, Event Horizon with the folding piece of paper and the pen. Mm, yeah, yeah, that was your favorite, right, Brad? Yeah. yeah. No, I, I get it. And I, I look at it this way. Like, exposition goes along that. Uh, it works best. Gremlin is a great example. There's exposition, but there's only a few rules that you got you to gotta know, right? You, you know what it. the you know what the genius thing about Gremlins is. I don't know if anybody's ever really kind of talked about this. We've never reviewed it. I don't know if we ever will. But here's my opinion on Gremlins. The genius thing about a Gremlins about, about Gremlins, yeah, is as an audience member, you almost from the get go want the rules to be broken. Oh yes, it's an amazing <laughs> trick. It's, that Joe Dante is playing on you. Yeah, it's and, but I but the exposition is so simple. It's don't yes. do this, don't do this, and don't do this. Three rules, like a, you're done. It's like a universal horror film. Yeah. We, we, we know the rules. Now we want you to break them because we want to see this stuff. It's, right. Yeah. It's, that's a good genius. point. Yeah. That is. Genius. Yeah. I love it. I love it. But no, so, so I, I, I think he did a fantastic job of trying to kind of explain where exposition works the best. Um, he's, he's been doing some blogs as well and some writing. I, I hope he turns this into a blog because yeah. I, I would love to sit down and just have that conversation with him and go, yeah, I agree with you. Some exposition works, but man, you know, what makes Prospect and Midnight Special so good from a science fiction genre is it's a bit light on that and it just goes right into it and you have to catch up as a viewer. I'm not saying I want that in every film, but it is nice to have that variety um, and to kind of not have my hand held during that movie and trying to figure it out. Whereas Christopher Nolan, I think, is just sitting next to me and whispering in my ear, well, this is what that means. And then don't forget to carry the two. And uh, okay, let's graph this out so you understand it. <laughs> Literally, he's sitting next to you watching your Blu-ray of Oppenheimer and he pauses it and goes, did you get that? Yeah. Did you get what I did there? Do you there? understand that nuclear fission actually works? <laughs> I mean. He's a super talented guy. We're yeah. criticizing Christopher Nolan. So yeah. let's. Uh, let's. I mean, look, uh, let's I love it off. 
you know, I, I, I don't love his films as much as some, but I do think he's a super talented filmmaker. There's no doubt about it, but it's just that sometimes that showmanship of him kind of shows up. It is. Hey, like, I, uh, I love everything he does. Um, but I, I, I don't, but okay. I, <laughs> this is, all right. All right I, this is going to be the most pretentious ass thing I'm going to say all night, but the average audience member is fucking stupid. So we have to have expository stuff. That's why it's there. Cause most people are stupid. Okay. Well, there is some logic to that. I mean, I, I I hate to say that you're right, and unfortunately, there is. And I, you know, it's only gotten worse because I think audiences' attention spans are, are oh, yeah. really dropped. Well, who was it that uh, was it? Willem Dafoe or somebody said that you know some of these challenging movies don't do good on uh, streaming services because um, it was a great great quote. Yeah, they can't <laughs> like, pay. Oh, hey, Spider Man. Yeah, they can't pay attention to watching something at home because they got their phones out and they're trying to multitask. Right. Not only that, he, he literally said there's no need. There, it's no need to put all this work into these thinking man's projects because people are just going to go home and turn on something stupid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. <laughs> he's he's yeah. not completely wrong. He is. Uh, but you know, there are people out there who do still want to be challenged, but you know, then there's people, you know, I had a rough day today. So when I came home today, I watched equalizer three. That's what I felt like watching. Yeah. No, I get it. I knew what I, I, knew what I was in for. I'm, I'm having a very difficult January, and I've uh, been watching a lot of Roger Corman sword and sorcery films and not even have to think anything about it, right? So Good. That's very good, yes. Yeah, there you go. Hey, Sammy, what's going on at the Gentleman's Guide? You guys uh, had had some interesting episodes lately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we talked about – I can't remember the last thing I talked about when I was with you guys. I can't keep track of anything, but – we did just release 40 Guns, which is a Sam Fuller movie, which we had never done a Sam Fuller film before, which I was kind of surprised by. I was that. shocked I, about that. Yeah. Yeah. I thought we had, but we had not. So that's out there. And then next week, Jose is on our episode 666, and we talk about The Unholy from uh, 1988, the Ben Cross starring. The Number of the Beast. Yeah. <laughs> Unholy. We made it to episode 666. That's, wow. Uh, I mean, if you stopped right here, it might be perfect. I don't want you to stop, but no, no, don't stop. Six hundred and sixty-six, not bad. I plan on stopping. I'll, I'll give you guys a hint. I'll give your listeners a hint. We plan on doing uh, love theme films via the GGTMC for February. Ooh, so they yeah. will be love with the twist, it but it'll be GGTMC love. Yeah, I can't wait for that. I I think our little discussion behind the scenes of some of the things that have come up. I didn't yeah. even I didn't even we imagine you guys going that direction, but well, we we won't be covering the one I sent you. Although I, I still want to cover that at some point. We won't oh be yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Oh <laughs> Troy, yeah. Next week. Whoa, yeah. Next week uh, we're 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 getting into something that I guess people might have seen. Maybe yes. Uh, we're going all the way back to 2016. It is a fantasy action film starring the one, the only Gerard Butler Ooh. playing an Egyptian god. We're doing Gods of Egypt. I can't wait. I've never seen it. Oh, you've never seen it? No, I saw it in the theater. Oh, wow. boy. Wow. That's going to be a fun discussion. I, I love you guys. I still have no interest in seeing this film, so let's see if you guys can pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I own it. I just haven't watched it yet. Well, that doesn't count. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then... Whenever, whenever, whenever there's four of us, and it, you guys can figure out who the four of us are. Yeah. If anybody says they own something, it doesn't count. That's true. That is true. And and hey, 
in a week or so, we're going to be kicking off um, not Breaking Brad, but something else. Right, Brad? Yeah, we're going to do Not A Bomb Classics, where we look at some of the greatest films of all time. Um, And we are going to start off with arguably the greatest film of all time, Citizen Kane. Yeah. Speaking of black and white films, that's going to be an interesting conversation. I think that That will be. I've been doing a lot of research on that behind the scenes. Yeah, I, th- I think, uh, have all three of us now watched that uh, Leif Schreiber RKO 281? I'm getting ready to start that. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's only in uh, like 82 minutes long. It's great. It's a nice little short film. Yeah. There's, uh, it'll be I wa- I might watch Make again, too. Just. Ooh, you know yeah. what? I forgot about that. I might watch that again, too. Oh, good point. Oh, I like that film. I need to watch that documentary about Citizen Kane that uh, got nominated for Academy Award. I think it's on one of those sets. Wait a minute. There's a documentary about Citizen Kane? Oh, my God. Yeah, it was nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah. and Which, which RKO 281 is based on that documentary, as a matter of fact. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Man, my brain kind of hurts from our discussion tonight, but... Brad, other uh, podcasts you should listen to. Yeah, that thing. Uh, outside of the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, you should listen to Watch Get Plus, the VHS Files, Night of the Living Podcast, Back Look Cinema Podcast. Shout out to Zoe and his feedback, the Mixtape Podcast, and a movie struck. Oh yes, and our friends over the pond at Raiders of the Podcast. We got to get them on the show. They're a lot of fun. We're working on it. Okay. Uh, if anybody, look. We're hoping that you took our advice at the beginning of the show and you went to watch Limbo and you listened to our thoughts, but we'd be very curious to hear what you think about this film. Brad, how do they get a hold of us and, and maybe share their thoughts on Limbo or give us suggestions of these, um, you know, try to beat Randy at his own game and, and give us some suggestions of films that maybe we haven't heard of that we need to talk about. How do they get a hold of us? Yeah, that's notabombpod at gmail.com or you can head over to notabombpodcast.com Hit the contact us button or reach out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Troy. Yeah. We usually have a bunch of people reach out as soon as we release an episode and they say, great episode. If you do that this time, this will be the only time that I'm going to be very upset at you <laughs> unless you've already seen the film. Well, we, do, we did have say one great episode. I think John, uh, as soon as we announced this, went and looked at the trailer and bought the 4K and watched it even before we recorded this oh, episode. Oh, okay. Good job, John. Yeah. So we did have a few people who who kind of jumped on the bandwagon. But again, you don't you don't have to spend the money. It's free. Just go watch it, man. Yeah, yeah. If you don't know if you want to see it or not, this is this is the real benefit of streaming services, in my opinion, is that uh, you know, if you know, if you're a, on a budget. You know, check the films out before you buy them. I mean, it's I, like that, like going into Sam Goody, and it was the try before you buy. You got to listen to the CD before you yeah. bought it. Before I before I made good money in my life, I uh, I always rented films before I bought them, which is kind of silly when you think about it because you pay the three ninety nine, the four ninety nine, then the movie goes on sale for fifteen ninety nine or whatever, and then you you could have bought it just originally for twenty bucks, and it was like, what the hell? <laughs> Sunk cost, man. It'll get it's you an addiction. Time. It is just an addiction. No, I get yeah. it. But listen, if you're going to watch Limbo, just make sure the kids aren't around because, you know, it's it's a yeah. grown-up yeah. film. So Yeah, yeah. If you're, if you're married, your wife will put you in Limbo. <laughs> good good point. Good point. Uh, I think that's all the housekeeping, right, Brad? It is. Okay. So I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thanks for downloading the show. Uh, I hope you went to watch Limbo. But come back next week because we're going to talk about Gerard Butler and a bunch of Egyptians. And, Wait, yeah, before what? we end, yeah. before we end, before. I have to say this. Yeah, go ahead. 
Okay. Vindication, Troy. Yeah. Jombie is a thing. We looked it up. Oh, my God. Jombie is the name of the genie in Pee Wee's Playhouse. Okay. Jombie is also a name of a tool song named after Jombie. So, if so, fact so. I wasn't that like I'm dumb. I'm just not that dumb. I wasn't going to bring it up. I was just going to let it live in the past, but fine. Yes. But Jombie is a thing, and that's for some reason. That's podcast gold when you're saying that, and Troy's going, what? I don't know what. (laughs) And I'm sitting there listening, and I'm going, does he mean Jumanji? And Troy's going, (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm going, Jumanji, Troy. Jumanji. I think he means Jumanji. I'm talking to the fucking podcast. (laughs) And then Troy goes, do you mean Jumanji? (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um but yeah, go so, go check out that uh that Kirsten Dunst uh film Jabomb <laughs> Jabombi or whatever. Jombi Jombi. You know I've never you know I've never seen Jumanji. Uh, you haven't seen Jombi? Jombi the genie <laughs> I have seen Jombi. Yes. <laughs> have you heard the tool song Jombi? It's pretty yes. good. Yeah, it's sung by Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you may end the podcast. I'm sorry. Uh, Yeah, um, gosh, don't know. Morning, afternoon, evening. Thanks for stopping by. Uh, We'll catch you next week. Don't lose your head. Take out your trash. (laughs) Take your trash out.